Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Happy New Year and welcome to the first ESSR Central here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet of 2024. My name is Ross McLeod, joined as always, well I say always, it feels like always, by Scott McLeod. <laughs> He's going to be joining me to talk about all things World's End, New Japan and the impending return of TNA. But before we get to our loaded show, just a massive uh, reminder of the massive back catalogue, a massive reminder of the massive back catalogue. <laughs> Massive back catalogue of previews, reviews, interviews and all the news. You can find that Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on iTunes, Spotify and all good Android podcasting sites. And at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Get involved in the conversation. Scott, let's just dive right in. We're going to start 2024 by talking about the end of 2023 and it was the last pay-per-view of 2023 the last major pr- uh, promotional pay-per-view it was AEW's World's End coming to you from the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Uniondale New York not Long Island um, <laughs> took place Saturday 30th of December 2023 in attendance of 10,093 there for a show that well, Scott, we've seen it before where backstage stuff happens in AEW and the roster really bands together to put together a great show. I think we can agree, Scott, that World's End was a show that happened. Yeah, uh, I'm not really sure how I feel about World's End, especially given that so much has happened, it feels like, since then. Uh, like I said, yeah, I like the opening match, like the opening four-way, like, sorry, opening eight-man tag with guys uh, from the A-Continental Classic, which I think was better than it had any right to be, despite, you know, the star power. And I like the last couple of matches, you know, I like the story they told with uh, Christian and Adam Copeland. I thought that could have easily turned into another long, boring kind of brawl, like the Orton Edge match we got back at Mania 36. But, yeah, it was weird, I think, because, like I said, it was really end of the year and everything. A lot of stuff's going on, and plus, it felt like a lot of this stuff had been thrown. I mean, the Continental Classic is the story that's been told through the last month. You had the World Title match, and everything had been built into the Devil reveal and everything. But I think everything else, like I said, it just felt like it had been thrown. Like there was a lot of discussion in the ESR group chat. There was a lot of stuff that 
you couldn't really describe as pay-per-view worthy, I think, on this card. Yeah, there was a lot of, um, certainly a lot of filler. And it doesn't help when, you know, this had 13 matches on the pay-per-view. Of course it did. Three pre-show matches, so let's just batter through that straight away. Uh, Willow Nightingale defeats Chris Statlander. And via pinfall, Hook defeats Wheeler Yuta to retain the FTW Championship in an FTW rules match. Really not a good look when the the made up championship guy is beating a guy who's holding a Ring of Honor championship. But we've had the conversation many times about how Tony Khan clearly views Ring of Honor compared to AEW. So Hook retaining there and Killswitch, the former Luchasaurus, winning a 20-man battle royal for a future AEW TNT Championship match, much like how Gonzo, or sorry, Charles Dickens, reminds you in the Muppets Christmas Carol, this much you must remember, I am reminding you that Killswitch won a battle royal for a TNT Championship match, this much you must remember. Um, Scott Nathan... In life, just which have been the servant of a shrewd, you know, father, <laughs> dead father hating man named Christian Cage. <laughs> um, not a lot to write home about on the pre show. I mean, you look at this, um, this field for the Battle Royal, some good, some bad, some they're still there. Um, Serpentico, Dalton Castle, Johnny TV, Lee Johnson, Angelo Parker, Alex Reynolds, John Silver, Kip Sabin, Brian Keith, Matt Menard, Christopher Daniels, Rocky Romero, Darius Martin, Action Andretti, The Blade, The Butcher, Lance Archer, Dan Housen, and Trent Barretta. Uh, yeah, um, not exactly a star-studded um, battle royal that, but Killswitch coming out the winner. Um, let's move on to the opening match on the card, a all-star eight-man tag, which I don't know how that makes the other eight-man tag later on look, but, you know, we'll go with that. Uh, an all-star eight-man tag where the Blackpool Combat Club of Claudio Castanelli and Brian Danielson teamed up with Mark Briscoe and Daniel Garcia to defeat Jay Lethal, Brody King, Jay White and Roosh. Uh, 17 minutes and 50 seconds, because of course it was, but everyone got their stuff in. It was a fun match. Um, Nigel McGuinness's hatred of Brian Danielson continues as he interrupted Daniel Garcia's entrance right before he was going to dance. Um, yeah, just a fun eight-man tag to get things going. Um, these guys have been the bedrock of AEW TV for the last six to eight weeks, so it would be weird not having them on the pay-per-view in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of big names here that could also deserve a pay-per-view spotlight, and I think it was kind of showcasing, it was containing some stuff on from the Continental Classic. Uh, Daniel Garcia, being a native of New York, got to have that moment at the end where he gets the surprise roll-up on uh, Jay Lethal, and you know, that moment where he got the shit beat out by Brody King, who was annoyed from loot that he lost to, uh, that he lost to Daniel Garcia during the show, and yeah, it was a hell of an opener, and yeah, like you say, oh, what does that mean about the, the eight-man tag later on? I mean, yes, there are stars in that one later on, but I think nobody was interested in the actual match, considering one of the participants in the later on eight-man tag. Yes, um, there's a lot to get through here. We're looking at where, um, where our show plan just now, and we will talk about stuff as it comes up throughout the card. We will go through this card. And Perfect time to talk about the fact that Andrade El Idolo is no longer All Elite. Uh, he was managed by CJ Perry, the former Lana, well known to be the wife of Miro, the former Rusev. Um, 
Miro and Andrade had a feud coming into this pay-per-view, uh, the word feud, being asked to do a lot of heavy lifting. Um, this this would have been what The Rock and Stone Cold was if they just kind of went, yeah, Deborah is the focus of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, how did Stone Cold not get that into this world? Let's take Deborah out of the equation. Bam, she's not a factor, but... Let's take Lana out of the equation. She's not a factor. I mean, the one thing that I liked about the build to this was shown in the video package where it ends with uh, Miro looking down the camera and saying, I don't want to fight him because he's my wife's client. I want to fight Andrade because he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Miro is someone who he, he can do his best to turn chicken shit into chicken salad, but he can only do so much here. Um, Andrade betrayed by CJ Perry in the end. Miro picks up the win via submission. Andrade is no longer all elite. He put a statement out on Twitter thanking Tony Khan for the last few years, uh, thanking him for everything. I don't know what everything is, what god-awful feuds with Matt Hardy and being off TV for six months at a time. Uh, but anyway, um, yes. Uh, Andrade El Idolo is no more. Um... How likely do you think it is we hear El Idolo at the Royal Rumble? I think it's very likely, and considering like his contract pretty much, ex- I think it was a case of his contract expiring and choosing not to you know, renew, so he didn't really need to sign any non-compete clauses or anything like that. So he can pretty much just go, and he doesn't really think he has any injury time that will add on to his contract, so he's pretty much free to do what he wants. And like I said, the Rumble is as good a place as any. I mean, there's a few people we can talk about on this show that, might be showing up around that time and I think considering you know you got uh, Dragon Lee and uh, the, uh, what you got, Malroom Mendoza whatever he's called now and Joaquin Wilde taking on Santos and his new group I think Andrade sliding in there especially given that Selena Vega's involved in that equation as well you know a big showdown between Andrade and Santos towards WrestleMania especially if Rey Mysterio's not going to be cleared by that time mm-hmm. Um, Andrade did put on Twitter saying, I want to thank you for this, t- you for this time that I belong to the company AEW and above all to Tony Khan. I also want to say goodbye to all the talent, security people, cameramen, referees, and everyone who works in the company for being part of my time in AEW. Kenny, Young Bucks, Taz, Shivani, Aubrey, Jerry, Hobbs, Hook, Kingston, Ricky, Orange, Thunder, Jack Perry, Austin, Colton, Sanjay, and many more that I can name. And also, how to forget all the Mexicans, Todo El Red. Religio, I butchered that. I enjoyed sharing the ring with Sting, Pack, Darby, Garcia, Jay, and many more. I would love to have faced Mox, Page, Hobbs, Ricky, Dante, Cage, Dustin. Thank you, AEW, and thank you to all the fans for all your support. I wish you all the best, always. Yeah, oh, nice. He is going by and a uh, El Idolo Andre. That's his. Uh, would you call it? That's his handle on social media now, uh, hashtag Tranquilo, eh? maybe he could uh, show up in, in New Japan once again, who knows, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Andrade, no longer with the company, Miro and CJ, what does this mean, does it mean that we'll get what makes sense, which is a Miro and CJ partnership, because they work best together? <laughs> Hopefully, I really could not give a shit, if I'm honest. No, me either. But anyway, a timeless Tony Storm, the best thing in the women's division at the minute, uh, accompanied by Luther, defeating Riho to retain the AEW Women's World Championship. Um, t- 
Timeless Tony Storm. I just love everything about the gimmick. I love the close-up where the screen goes black and white. I loved Luther's uh, sort of Frasier-style accent when he was <laughs> um, when he was thrown out like, how dare you? How dare you? Uh, <laughs> I love that. But yeah, Rio to me is one of these people. It's weird. Um, I, I talked about this when we did a, a retro review for WWE where we did the Royal Rumble. And at the start of 2000, there was those people from 98 to 99 who were clearly on their way out, your Shamrocks, your D'Lo Browns and what have you. And it would not be a factor going forward in 2000, 2001. Whereas you had the likes of um, Chris Jericho, who just came in, Kurt Angle, um, the Radicals were still to make their debuts. So we were moving away from this sort of one era into another and Rio feels very much like she is stuck in the early days of AEW era because she has been injured and then obviously COVID and then back in Japan. There's not really been anything for Rio to do. And it's now a time where Kenny Omega, thank God, is not booking the women's division anymore and just going, yeah, she was really good in Japan isn't enough, especially when you're going up against someone who was also really good in Japan, Tony Storm, but has an amazing gimmick to go alongside it. I I just, I really didn't buy into this match because I couldn't see anything other than a Tony Storm win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the issue AEW is finding because it started out with the four pay-per-view four and then adding a fifth with Forbindor, which but Forbindor didn't really feel like it hindered any of the other pay-per-views because it was so different. It was more of a cross-promotional thing. Mm-hmm. But then you've had All In, Wrestle Dream, and the addition of these other pay-per-views so close together, and then add World's End like, uh, just over, over a month after full gear. I think AEW needs to be careful if they are going to add more pay-per-views so they don't fall into the same issue that WWE sometimes finds themselves in with B pay-per-views and that Champion wins it at one of the bigger pay-per-views and then here's our first defence at the next pay-per-view. And even though it's against a former AEW Women's Champion, which helps you know, further give her validity by beating her, uh, being a former champion, your first major defence, it's one of those things where like, no one's properly buying into it. Like, it's not going to be one of the matches that people tune in to like, buy the baby for, even though they like Tony Storm. Uh, I can say that it was a lot more fluid than the ending of the last match, where they had an idea with that weird bit of metal down our gear, but it clearly didn't work out the way they wanted it to. One of my favourite bits about Tony's entrance is how it's all shot on her, the wide shots are black and white. Every time it cuts to the ring where it shows her opponent, it goes back to colour again, and then back to her <laughs> black and white. Yeah. Um, just to let you know, folks, matches five, six, seven, eight, and 9, we are not going to be too kind upon. <laughs> it's later in the show, this thing kind of comes together. Um, swerve against Keith Lee, because reasons... Um, no, the, the never-ending feud that we don't want to see the end of, you've missed the boat with, uh, was going to get its uh, final chapter before swear, uh, before Keith Lee revealed he'd been struggling since the end of 2022 with injuries and he aggravated it recently at final battle for Ring of Honour. Um, someone put on a defence of Tony Khan saying, see people, it all makes sense now. This is why Tony Khan's not been booking Keith Lee and Keith Lee responded with, False. So, um, <laughs> further backstage drama. But he was replaced with his tag partner, Dustin Rhodes. And I think we all thought 
They even attacked him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't you remember that the team of limit, naturally limitless or whatever the fuck they were called? Those three weeks they were teaming on fucking Rampage. Uh, I mean, I know we talked about how little few people actually were there for Ring of Honor. I mean, was it was it worth them competing at Ring of Honor to aggravate an injury which stopped them from ending a feud that people wanted to see him end ages ago? Well, maybe you could say it's not, but then again, when else are we going to see another one three hundred pound man? Canadian destroy another three hundred pound man off of the top rope. So just for that spot alone, I think it was worth them not being on this show. But doesn't mean I want this <laughs> to be bored to tears by Dustin Rhodes. Like I can do it. I can still, you know, what try to pull, do his best Black Knight from the Holy Grail against Swerve. <laughs> um, Dustin Rhodes and Keith Lee, ironically, would have worked on Ring of Honor. Put them in Ring of Honor. Give them a bit of hey, look. Here's a, a credible, cred, creditable veteran, easy for me to say, and Keith Lee, who's a brick shit house. Watch them beat the shit out of people, and people would have bought it, but, you know, they get lost in the feud in the AEW. Anyway, yeah, I found this hilarious. It was so... Swerve Strickland was clearly the heel. Dustin Rhodes was like, I'm going to do it for my friend. I can get up. I'm not staying down. And the crowd were just like, kick him in the head again. Kick him in the head again. <laughs> it I was know. the bit where it was meant to be. Swerve was despicable for like breaking Dustin Rhodes' arm. And the crowd were like, yeah, break the other one. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it didn't work. Dustin Rhodes, again, um, someone who feels very much like the start of AEW. And this is a thing that um, we've talked about before with AEW's consistent signings and not uh, releasing people and just letting contracts run out, that they don't do anything with these people. And they, they are starting to talent hoard kind of in the same way WWE did from 2016 to 2019 before they started just really releasing people at a mass pace because there was no need for these people to be there. And... Um, yeah, Dustin Rhodes. Did he not tweet that like 2023 was going to be his last year in wrestling? Like at the start of last year or something? It was going to be his last full-time year and AEW have done nothing with that. Um, yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen Dustin go to NWA and try to win the title as father and brother of one. But, you know... I mean, if NW, if NW was anything like it was in 2020, I would agree. But really, I wouldn't. I wouldn't wish you know going to NW on anybody really at the moment, given the shambles that place is in. I remember when I watched Dustin's like, promo package, like when he comes out on his tron, it says one last ride, which is was his whole big thing when he came to fight Cody and had that brief routine for them. Like, yeah, that one last ride really lasted far longer than it should have, Dustin. <laughs> Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, but yeah, Swerve Strickland, another win. Um, it should have been the Continental Classic he won, but ah, well. Um, eight man, not all star tag team match. Uh, Sting, Darby Allen, Les Six Gods, we'll get to that in a minute. Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara defeating the tag team champions Ricky Starks, Big Bill, and the Don Callis family of Takeshita and Powerhouse Hobbs. Um, so yeah, uh, we come into this match with the allegations that Chris Jericho, um, so let's just start at the beginning. Um, there was apparently no disclosures, uh, sorry, a non-disclosure agreement 
uh, signed with uh, certain lawyers regarding the whole brawl out thing. Chris Jericho then said to Jim Cornette, because I think it was him that brought it up. No, uh, no, it was a. Uh... I think it was like a guy who represents Jim Cornette, but he also represents Punk. I think he represents Ace Steel and this whole thing. Uh, I don't know the name of the lawyer's name, but yeah, he represents both Cornette and Punk. I think he basically said everyone has in the volunteer apart from Ace Steel's wife, can't talk about this incident because they've all signed NDAs, which pretty much are for life. Yeah. Um, and then Chris Jericho was like, I can talk about it. I haven't signed an NDA. And everyone was just like, Chris, it's Christmas Day. Take a day off, mate. Um, None of us noticed this till Boxing Day because, you know, we were all spending Christmas with our families. But I'm sure Chris Jericho's wife was trying to overthrow a local government. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> As we record this on January 7th. Um, <laughs> moving swiftly on. <laughs> she must be just heading back from Washington for her, her yearly insurgent meeting. Anyway, um, oh yeah, that was another thing. Chris Jericho's wife opened up her Twitter. Oh my God, it was like open up Pandora's racist box. Um, and then, um, speaking of NDAs, uh, I believe it was Nick Houseman went on an interview and said, how many NDAs have uh, AEW made young women sign regarding the inappropriate behaviour of Chris Jericho? Kylie Ray knows what I'm talking about. Kylie Ray responded with a love heart emoji. Um Someone else responded with, I wonder how many people are waking up every time and saying, hopefully this is the day Chris Jericho is outed. So a lot of stuff regarding Chris Jericho is inappropriate behaviour. The name Less Sex Gods, maybe not appropriate anymore. Darby Allen yelling at him, you piece of fucking shit, which is a bit ironic considering Darby's past. But uh, anyway, <laughs> um, Darby and Sammy are back together because... Kenny Omega is injured. Um, it's like telling you the chocolate cake's off, but don't worry, we've got a vegan cheeseburger for you. Um, so Sammy Guevara is now going to be with Chris Jericho to take that tag team title match against Ricky Starks and Big Bill. Um, Sammy Guevara, it's just it's never going to work until Chris Jericho fucks off and they either let him be a natural heel or a smarmy sort of tweener, because he's not going to work as a face, I don't think. He's he's a good-looking man with a good-looking wife and the perfect family. Like, he's he's not an everyman that people can get behind, you know what I mean? Um, but it seems kind of like the way Luke Harper and Eric Rowan used to go out on their own every so often. They would be dragged back to the Wyatt family. That's kind of like Sammy Guevara with Chris Jericho. Um but the team Sting, Darby Allen, uh, Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara defeated Starks, Bill and the Don Callis family. Chris Jericho's just involved in too many feuds in AEW, isn't he? Kind of like Cody at the start. I know. I I don't have really a lot to say about the match itself other than that weird like Blue Thunder style move. It looked like DeCastin only murdered Darby with off the top rope. That was cool to see. And I don't know if you've seen the thing as a gift from their Dynamite match where Kadesh basically did a role in like chaos to so, like, on the ramp to to Darby because Darby has no regard for his own neck. But <laughs> like yeah, I think it was very distracting given everything that was going on in real life, you know, people chanting NDA at Jericho during the match. Uh Sammy, ironically in a company that now features the former big show, Guevara's been booked like the big show the amount of times he's been a good guy, then he's a bad guy. Now he's a good guy again. 
the only reason they turned him face again is because he got concussed shortly after Wrestle Dream, and so he missed a lot of valuable time. But he could have been as a heel with the Don Callis family, and also he was also up because, obviously, as he will constantly remind you, he's just had a baby, or with his wife has at least. And so he's missed a lot of time off, so they brought him back. But if you watch that thing where he turns face, like, they're not cheering you, Sammy, because they like you. They're, they're cheering because you're saying shit to Don Callis, who they don't like. So literally anyone could have walked through the door and said shit to Don Callis, and they would have been treated as a good guy. But it's amazing how often they keep trying to make him a face, and it's not working. Like... Like, I remember after the four-way for Double or Nothing, you know, Darby tried to tease it. He goes, you know, Sammy, it sounds like these people are starting to like you. But for two seconds, they're reading boo! Like, <laughs> like, no, stop trying to force this shit. Like, and I really feel bad for fucking Starks and Big Bill because now they're being wrapped up in wherever shit Jericho's up to, which is really bringing down their potential there as a tag team. Uh, I think you need to be careful also what we say with the Jericho stuff because I think a lot of it is still to come out, really. I, I don't know if Houseman himself mentioned Kylie Ray, but there were all these rumours around the time that she left and then those were brought up again. And Nick Houseman said I never mentioned Kylie Ray specifically, but... Yes, Houseman never mentioned her specifically, but um, there were multiple people online that did mention her and it was how she eventually became obviously wrapped up in all this. Um yeah, a bit weird that people were still singing Judas, and then of course, as soon as the music music stopped, they started booing him, uh, shouting Kylie Ray and Andy at him. Um, yeah, just a bit weird. Um, I agree with what you said about Big Bill and Stark getting wrapped up in whatever Jericho's in. It kind of just seems to be at the minute it's. Whatever Jericho's doing, which wraps in about 20 people, who are the Young Bucks friends with? And the World Title Feud seems to be the three stories in AEW consistently. And, yeah, it's not a good look. Uh, we move on to the ninth match on this god-awful card. Uh, Julia Hart versus Abaddon for the TBS Championship. In a House Rules match, Abaddon stipulates that biting is legal. And she still loses. It was crap. We're going to move on. Yeah, I don't know how biting, how crucial biting was to Abaddon's overall offense that they thought that that would make any sort of difference. Imagine. I don't think anybody really wanted to see Julia Hart lose anyway. No, I don't think. I think it was more uh, that they didn't want to see Abaddon win. Our build weight is a thousand lost souls. <laughs> Yeah. Is it perhaps a thousand bold to death souls? Anyway, moving swiftly on. Um, be eleven hundred after a really bad cheat day. <laughs> um, we start to get some good stuff uh, now. Christian Cage against Adam Copeland. Uh, sorry, Adam Copeland versus Christian Cage in a no disqualification match for the AEW TNT Championship. Adam Copeland picks up the win. He power bombs a. Uh, Nick Wayne onto a flaming table. I don't know about through it. Um, Copeland had his iconic WrestleMania 22 attire on uh, when he faced uh, Mick Foley in that hardcore match. Um, I loved this. I thought this was a great match. It was everything we wanted to see for years in WWE, and WWE didn't give us it. AEW have. 
and Adam Copeland winning his first championship since the World Championship on SmackDown in January of 2011. Wow. Yeah, so we're in January of... So nearly, nearly 13 years on, Adam Copeland wins a championship again. But, and that one thing you must remember, I told you at the start, listener, uh, was that Killswitch had won the TNT Battle Royal. He was given a title shot anytime, any place against a against a, a against a TNT champion. He wanted to cash in on Adam Copeland. He then gave the contract to Christian. Christian cashed in, and eleven seconds later, um, Christian Cage is a two-time. AEW TNT champion. Listen, say what you will about Adam Copeland's reign, but there was no bad matches. He <laughs> new people over. It didn't go too long. You know, it ended right at the right time. But yes, Christian Cage, now a two-time TNT champion. Um, your thoughts on well, both these matches? Uh, I mean, poor fucking Nick Wayne, by the way, is... <laughs> Um, not only did he get conservative right in front of his mum, but then he got speared through a flaming table that didn't completely break. I mean, I don't know if that's the least, but I guess your concern you should have when it's on fire, but still, I mean, at least it would help. You know, when he gets put through a fucking flaming table, which they had to then relight and put more gasoline on to make it pretty sure it properly stayed alight. Uh, like I said, it could have been a lot worse than it was, but they guys made sure they crafted it well. I think their WWE should buy in 2001 is actually a bit underrated, so I'm glad they were able to get a replicate a success in there. And it's weird that it seems like they're seemingly moving on for if you see what happened on Dynamite or in Collision. But, you know, I, like, I think when you when Kill Switch went and they said any time, any place, there were several options you could have went with this where you, you could, you know, cast in during the match and you had done another trouble threat because remember it was a trouble threat involving him, Christian, and Darby where Christian kind of screwed Kill Switch to win the title officially. And they could have had Christian him cash in on Chris Cage, have him crash in and refuse to hand it over to Christian. I remember at the time thinking that the thing of him handing the contract to Christian, Christian just winning the belt back was potentially the worst of the possible options. But I think it further builds, you know, Kelswitch's eventual turn in winning the belt back from Christian Cage, then I'm willing to go along with it because Christian is very entertaining in this role. He cut a promo on where he said, you know, what do you mean two-time champion? I've been the champion ever since the first episode of Collision, which is where Killswitch won the belt. So he maintains he's been the champion all this time. He's never lost it. And I remember, I think I said to you when we were watching, like, I bet you he doesn't even acknowledge that he lost it and he's not acknowledging it at all, which is amazing. Apparently also, these two had, the, had a claim to having the longest and the shortest TNT championship matches of all time. There you go. Bookending it. Um, I really liked the promo Christian Cage cut after it when he was talking about um, the, the one you were talking about. I've been champion since the first episode of Collision. Um, you can see Luchasaurus doesn't look happy. The fans are chanting his name. He says, his name is Killswitch. You know, he is conflicted. This is going to end up with Killswitch turning on Christian Cage. I think we all know that. Um because Christian Cage says, I will hold this title as long as I want to. And then I will give it to my favourite son, Nick Wayne, to carry <laughs> on my legacy. So, yeah, um, I think we can see where this is going. 
but yeah, um, what a match. It, it, it encapsulated everything uh, in Copeland's career. You know, the ladders, the tables, the the hardcore match at WrestleMania 22, the flaming table, and being cashed in on. Like, it was just, everything about it was great. And you know what? I'm so happy we got a good match, but we still get Christian Cage as the dead dad hating <laughs> asshole that we know him to be. Um, the Championship Final, the Continental Classic for the inaugural American Triple Crown, the Ring of Honor World Championship, the New Japan Strong Openweight Championship, and the inaugural AEW Continental Classic Championship. Eddie Kingston defeats John Moxley in a match that we all saw coming. Um, I just don't, oh. this was a good match, right? This was, I liked this, but you know what took away from it the fact that. And we've talked about this before about Daniel Bryan. He's a bit of a wrestling snob, right? <laughs> and I like Daniel Bryan as a wrestler, Brian Danielson as a wrestler. But I reckon if you had to speak to this guy about wrestling and they went, oh, oh, you like that sort of wrestling, it'd be getting exhausting. <laughs> really, I just... He, he did nothing but slay Eddie Kingston on commentary. And then Eddie Kingston wins and it's just like, oh, well... Well, well done, Eddie. Like, what have you brought to this commentary booth here, <laughs> apart from completely burying? I know he's teammates with John Moxley. He could have made that clear. Like, yeah, I'm here to support my teammate. I clearly want him to win. No, he um, didn't do any of that. <laughs> well, also, he could have been the same event and they were switching out commentary. Like, remember, like, I think he was him, Taz, and Excalibur on the commentary, and then they brought Shivani out for the main event. I was saying to you at the time, I really wish they would have brought Nigel out so they could, Nigel could have went, did I miss it? Did I miss Daniel Bryan doing some crying because Eddie Kingston won after he disrespected him? Because he was really hammering that home earlier on in the night. And I think when Eddie put his belts up as part of this tournament, you knew he either had to win the tournament or at least get to the semis or the final. And you can have that story from coming so far and then losing out in the thing he wanted. And Fair enough. Though. I mean, the belt looks very similar to like some of the old, like all Japan style like championships, and it's really what he wanted to have. But again, even after it seemed like it was all very simple, like it's a continental crown. Like this is the belt that symbolizes, you know, the continental aspect of it. And it combined with these belts, all three belts defended at one time as the modern triple crown. All three belts are one and defended across multiple promotions. All right, that's fair enough. He defended the belt. It seemed like he only defended, defended the Continental belt against bloody against bloody uh, Trent recently on Collision. And Gabriel Kidd's challenging for New Japan's Battle in the Valley on the 13th. But he's made it clear, I don't give a shit about those other belts. I just want the strong belt. Like, so he is defending them separately. Like, Again, you've had a whole tournament and you still can't tell us exactly what this Triple Crown actually means. He did this as well um, with with the tournament, he said every match will be a tournament. If anyone beats me in the tournament, they become the champion. Brody King beat him. I know he started out 0 2 and then had to battle his way back in the tournament. It just it, it doesn't make sense. And it's clearly just because there's a Japanese triple crown that Tony Khan likes. So he's had to put another one together. And you're like, surely, God, we all the made up titles running about. Surely you could have had him win like the FTW title or something like that. And have him say, look, this is a modern American triple crown. I will defend all three at once on pay-per-views. And on show, uh, I'll have open challenges every week. 
and people can pick the the title they want to defend. Or you and you could have avoided all this fucking red league, blue league, gold league, p- blue power ranger, white power ranger, red power <laughs> ranger bullshit. Um, I mean, we, we spoke about it beforehand. Um, John Moxley being in the match. And I think they did a good job, you know, explaining the last time Moxley and him fought, Eddie Kingston had to say, I quit. They then teamed together for a bit before Eddie wasn't happy that he was teaming with Claudio. But it, it just, it, I just think it would have been more beneficial for either Swerve Strickland to win it or for Jay White to be in that final because Jay White is being wasted in AEW at the moment and yeah just I don't buy into Kingston but hey Eddie Kingston the inaugural AEW Continental Champion uh, he now holds Triple Crown Champion I I don't know how they're going to work this like is there ever going to be a time where the Ring of Honor title is the Ring of Honor title again it seems to be Tony likes to do these things for his own stuff, but then it's it's bringing in the Ring of Honor Championship. So now is the Ring of Honor Championship dead? Like, like yeah. what, what happens here? Um, yeah. Sorry, Nico. Yeah, it's good to say, like, because like I said before, like, I don't think New Japan really cares whatever happens to the strong belt if it's its own thing or if it's absorbed into something else. But like Tony is the owner of Ring of Honor as well. I think what this means that Eddie actually appears on Ring of Honor as well again as the champion. But yeah, like he, if he did, if he, the fact that it's the world, the top, what's supposed to be the top belt in Ring of Honor is just being absorbed with a new mid card AEW belt and a belt in New Japan, which is pretty much as close to the bottom as you can almost get in New Japan, like in terms of the hierarchy of all the belts. It's just. Again, like I feel weird that he still we still don't know what exactly this triple crown actually fucking means. Yeah, um, yeah, it's what it's one company's world title being absorbed by two other companies' third mid card title. It's it really is that. Um, yeah, good match, confusing stipulation. Hopefully, hopefully we get to the point where. Look, there was no need for Eddie Kingston to put his titles up in this tournament. He could have won it and then been like, yeah, I'm the American Triple Crown champion. And that would have been a hell of a lot less confusing. But hey-ho, um, <laughs> we're here now. Um, and apparently they're doing the Continental Classic again next year. Uh, they didn't go into too much detail apart from... Um, Excalibur saying to Taz saying, and do you know the best thing about it? We're going to do it all again next year. So, apparently it's coming back. Uh, I don't know how they're going to work at this time. Anyway, um, main event time. This was actually really good. Samoa Joe defeating MGF to become the AEW World Heavyweight Champion. Samoa Joe has now held world titles in WWE, Ring of Honor, TNA, and now AEW with the NXT NWA slash TNA and Ring of Honor titles respectively. This was a good match, but the big story around it was who is the devil? What is the devil going to be? 
And at the end of the match, we see the men in black, no, not them, um, and <laughs> MGF. One of them has a chair. They're saying, they're both going, hit me, don't hit him, hit me, don't hit him. The lights go out, and when the lights come back on, Adam Cole sitting in the chair, holding the devil's mask. All four men un- take their mask off. Wardlow, Roderick Strong, the new Ring of Honor, as we can now say, the new Ring of Honor tag team champions. They're no longer the masked men. They are Matt Taven and Mike Bennett. All four of them are amazing, massive knee to the face by Roddy Strong. All four of them beat the absolute living you-know-what out of MGF as the crowd boos along. And Adam Cole gave his explanation this week on Dynamite. He introduced the Undisputed Kingdom. He said, MGF is a scumbag. The only reason people cheer for him is because of his team with Adam Cole and Better Than You Baby. How many people has he ran down and run out of this promotion? How many people, you know, has he injured? How many people has he disrespected? And now all of a sudden it's he's our scumbag. No. Um, so he mentioned that they are going after gold. The Ring of Honor Tag Champions, obviously, as we mentioned, Mike Taven and Mike Bennett. Uh, Roddy Strong's apparently going after the AEW International Championship. And Wardlow is going to be challenging Samoa Joe for the World Championship at some point when he will eventually vacate that title and hand it to Adam Cole when he is fit. Um, Scott, what's your thoughts on the match, the betrayal and the promo on Dynamite? I, I really enjoyed the match. I, th- I felt like the right decision because, you know, it helped the story of between Adam Cole being revealed as the devil and you know, taking all this stuff from NGF and obviously helping making this deal with Samojo and with his new group, which helped also rob the tag belts from NGF. Also, NGF was left pretty much with nothing by the end of it. And also, given all the injuries, both in KFU and in real life, NGF was going through, if he'd beaten Samojo somehow, it would very much vary into, you know, Super Cena territory. That's not the kind of babyface MGF should be. Uh, Samojo Joe made a full out of me because they were doing the whole three arm spots. And usually, I was mentioned to you and in the past. <laughs> In the past, when they do that chokeout spot or passes, what usually they just do one arm and they ring the bell. Whenever they do the three, it's always, oh, he's got the arm in the three. And as I'm midway to explain that, the arm throws it for the third time, there's a pause where he goes, ring the bell, and Samoa Joe <laughs> wins the title. So Samoa Joe made a full out of me on that one. And then obviously the big reveal. I do love Samoa Joe taking the piss uh, and doing the press conference. Like, who's your favorite? Name them. I'll beat them. You know, he's like, nobody's tri- everyone's starting fights. Nobody ever started a fight with me, and, which is especially funny given that he broke up, helped broke, break up a fight and then told one of the guys in the fight that he was fighting them all in. Like, listen, I don't give a fuck if you're in a mood. We're fighting it right now. We're in the opening match. <laughs> so that was funny. Uh, I love the I loved the fact there was a bit of a pop when people saw the words undisputed during the Undisputed Kingdom's entrance. They're like, oh, you remember that. Uh, the fact that Roddy... Roddy still did the Adam <laughs> and Adam Cole called Roddy his real best friend during the promo some people are still wondering because like, I don't think they revealed how long he'd been doing this because you had to assume after Wembley started doing this because you know if he had this in mind before Wembley then why the fuck didn't he win the title at Wembley it would have made him look silly but I think the fact that MJF is acting as if he's actually left even though he really needs time off and the whole thing of 
he always said, oh, my contract's up in 2024. So I'm assuming that MGS is going to stick around. And Adam Cole even used that as justification. He said, you know, why, why the hell are you so, so mad at me for taking MGF, a guy who doesn't even want to be here? I did you a favour. I did Tony Khan a favour by making sure he never comes back. I think if MGF takes time off because he's got all these injuries, he's trying to avoid getting surgery on some of these issues. And hopefully it's like rest and rehab he can have because if he gets surgery, he'll be out for like a year. And he just obviously doesn't want that. And I've seen a lot of people talk about the possibility of well, what happens if like, at all in two we get a rematch between Cole and MJF. And you know, if they play it right and MJF comes back when he's healthy enough uh, before then, then and Adam Cole's hopefully cleared by then, I think you can help you can really like play that out. Uh, with the dynamics kind of flipped, especially like yeah. Like, you know, if you have, like, Roderick Strong and Wardlow there as obstacles, and Adam Cole's not 100% say, like, oh, NJF, you've got to go through Roddy, you've got to go through Wardlow. You know, like, how you used to put people through trials, I'm putting you through a trial to get a match with me. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that'd be the, the best thing to do, and it certainly does keep things... Um, keeps things interesting, um, and it keeps Adam Cole on TV. Um, but, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's interesting, it really is. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to Samoa Joe getting a, getting a title match. He's going up against Hook, randomly. Um, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, uh, when you think about it, Hook, even though he's got a, a title top first, I recognise he has low-key got one of the better singles records, so if they still cared about rankings and win-loss records, he technically should be the number one contender. You know, they cared about win-loss records, but he, Darby and Sting should have been tag champs a long time ago. I know, it annoys me that they aren't going to do that. Sting's last match in New York they were talking about as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so we've talked about World's End, we've talked about the Undisputed Kingdom and the Devil, we've talked about the Chris Jericho controversy, we've talked about Andrade potentially returning to WWE, and we've done that all during the World's End review. Let's talk about Kevin Dunn. Kevin Dunn, one of the staples of Vince McMahon's WWE, is retiring. And news that came out on the 31st of December. Kevin Dunn, one of the most important executives in WWE history, is leaving the organisation in a story broken by Mike Johnson of PW Insider. Dunn told WWE at some point around the Christmas week that he would be leaving the company. The executive producer and chief of global te- uh, television distribution decided to retire due to internal changes within WWE following the Endeavour takeover and merger with UFC under TKO Group Holdings. And Dunn was quoted as never going to do anything that was dictated to him as opposed to him personally overseeing everything. What a dick. Uh, Dunn's WEX is not considered a shocking company. He reported never intended to work for anyone except Vince McMahon and the former chairman obviously losing much of his power after the scandal and the buyout. Um, Dunn is expected to be replaced within WWE TV production by a mix of people as opposed to just one person. I like that, by the way. I think Raw should look different to SmackDown and SmackDown should look different to... um, should look different to NXT. Just all of it being the same, not a good look. And it's not as if Kevin Dunn was ever great at his job. I mean... (laughs) um, 
just just type in Kevin Dunn, Bucky Beaver. Um, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll see Jim Jim Cornette's uh, opinion on Kevin Dunn. Um, Dunn stepped back from his role as of late and allowed others to take on more responsibility since the Endeavour acquisition. The man many thought that replaced Dunn, Michael Mansouri, is now part of AEW. So, yeah, Kevin Dunn has been part of WWE since 1984 and has been the line producer for WWE TV since 1988. Um, he's He's become infamous over the years. We mentioned his horrible style of camera cuts. It's reported other people in the company liked his style of production, but Triple H not a fan of it, and yeah, um, he's gone. He's no longer part of WWE. Yeah, I mean, obviously, lots of people don't like his style, like camera cuts and everything. Uh, you can't deny that over the years, WWE, as we everyone said, their production is second to none, and like it's one of the things they have over a lot of their competitors and. Dunn is responsible for seeing a lot of the best like shots ever done in WWE. So you got to give him his due on that one. Also, he wouldn't be around if he wasn't good at his job. But when you hear the stories of the fact that, you know, apparently his dad saved some old tapes from a fire and that's how he and his son, how he and his dad kind of got jobs for life, pretty much that Vince was kind of so indebted to them. They kind of kept around as a thank you just for that one incident. And you hear stories about Kevin Dunn, like, at his own point, he didn't like Becky Lynch's Irish accent, and he would say about certain wrestlers that shouldn't be on TV because they weren't TV-friendly and they should focus on other people because they were more attractive and they looked better on TV. Both he and JR famously didn't get along as well, and he didn't really like JR and all that. And so he's not, not really someone who everyone says is going to be missed, but it's still shocking to see him go. He like seems like one of those lifers within WWE, and I remember, like you said, but Mansoury leaving the best person to replace. Now that's that was a report going around when Vince when Vince temporarily stepped down in the summer of 2022, and Triple H took over. People like, why is Kevin Dunn not being replaced? And the report was, well, the best person to replace him got released, so they don't have anyone to replace him. And it wouldn't have surprised me if this whole him leaving was and it worked for a long time, but they were kind of waiting to see how things would turn out with the Endeavor merger and everything. And I don't think Kevin Dunn's going feel too badly about leaving when he is because there were also reports when it listed of executives like Vince, like Triple H, a big list of people who on the WWE side took up big cash bonuses as a result of this merger. Kevin Dunn's name was among there so he's been paid a lot of money for a long time and he's got this big boost of cash on his way out so he's got a nice tidy sum to retire with and I don't know how long he's been around. He must be well in his 60s by this point so probably best that he steps down now. Yeah, he's not exactly going to go to the poorhouse, is he, with the money yeah. he's made. It's, um... I mean, you've heard the conspiracies of that weird old woman and the guy with the long hair. The reason they're always in the front row is people have alleged, like, is that Kevin Dunn's wife and son? Like, if that's true, that he can afford to pay get his family front row tickets for all that, I mean, maybe maybe that is the case. But we'll see. If, he, if you never see those two in the front row again, maybe the rumours are true. <laughs> relegated to the fourth row um, <laughs> but yeah uh, there's been rumours for years that Triple H wasn't a fan um, and he seemed to be a Vince McMahon lifer so yeah, two weeks six and we'll move on to the next story and this is kind of a kind of one that uh, is getting mixed up um so, rumours are that 
the current TNA Women's Champion, Trinity, is looking to return to WWE. Uh, Mercedes Monet is apparently signing with AEW and is said to be a done deal. Maybe, might be, don't know yet, but it's a done deal. Maybe, uh, says Dave Meltzer. But on WWEshop.com, they have started selling the Boss and Glow Connection t-shirt again at full price. So, Scott, Mercedes Monet and Trinity looking to leave New Japan and Impact, or sorry, TNA respectively. Do you expect to see them together? Do you expect to see them in a different promotion? Where would you like to see Trinity and Mercedes Monet? I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing Trinity go back to WWE, maybe uh, booked in a you know, proper position in the card. You know, there's definitely a lot of places you could fit into, especially maybe on the SmackDown side of things. Because it felt like, other than that run, that brief run in 2017, when she was a champion on SmackDown, it never felt like, as a single star, they really saw her as highly as some other people. And she was kind of just there as Sasha, because Sasha Banks needed a partner during that last run when they had the tag team titles. You know, even there was even that story in her and Sonya that seemed to go nowhere, just the fact that Sonya's whole motivation was, you think you're a leading star, but you're really just a supporting player, which I wouldn't be surprised if that's how WWE you know, saw her at the time as well. I think the fact that she chose to go to, to TNA rather than just leaving for a while and then going back to WWE or going straight to AEW, she chose to build herself up in TNA, had some great matches with Deonna and Mickey, and she got this match with Jordan, which if the rumours are true, I think a lot of people say like, well, I guess this is a foregone conclusion. But personally, I would actually, I wanted to see Jordan win the belt back even before these rumours came out. But the thing with Mercedes is, it's a lot more uncertain with her because the talk about her going to AEW has been going to like Forbidden Door last year before she got injured. And I think they really need to have her at least appear once because, you know, that, otherwise that moment where she's in the crowd at all in is going to be AEW's equivalent to when Gable Stevenson showed up at WrestleMania 38 that one time. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've got a feeling you know WWE shop and WWE don't do anything by accident. I think if that T-shirt's back on sale, I think that's to let people know they're both coming to WWE. And Triple H has been an admirer of both of them for a while. I don't think they'll be struggling for storylines if they go back to WWE this time. I'd like to see them both go back to WWE um, certainly at least to give the tag team division a bit of depth. You know, Quintana uh, and, sorry, Caden uh, Carter and Chance Katana, who the fuck? Katana, Chance and Caden Carter. Yes, yes. I'm clearly very interested in them, but they are the only actual tag team at the minute. Um, it would be nice to see Trinity and Sasha Banks win back the titles at WrestleMania, the titles they never lost, and maybe get a proper run this time. Uh, going across all three brands but it'll be interesting to see because one person no longer with Impact Wrestling and has fully signed with AEW is Diana Perazzo. Diana Perazzo uh, debuted in New Jersey, her hometown after um, a segment earlier in the night where Tony Storm said I'm going to Broadway, I have no interest in being in New Jersey I don't blame you and Mariah May makes her in-ring debut, said she was dedicating the, her first match to Tony Storm. It's just a shame it had to happen in New Jersey before the crowd goes wild. Diana Perazzo debuts. Diana Perazzo announces she's all elite, and if Tony Storm doesn't want to be in New Jersey, we don't want her here. But just let her know I'm coming for her. 
So Diana Perazzo looks like she's coming straight in and going after the women's championship. This is where I'm torn because I don't want to see Diana do what so many women have came into AEW and done, which is just fall down the card and end up nowhere. I don't want to see her slumming it in Ring of Honor. She is a former Ring of Honor champion and did more with that title on Impact TV than half the Ring of Honor champions have on Ring of Honor TV under Tony Khan. Um, but I'm really enjoying, as I mentioned, the Tony Storm uh, run at the moment. Scott, what do you think here? Is it a case of we might maybe get a shenanigans disqualification win before the big title win? Or what, what happens here with Diana Perazzo and Tony Storm? I'm not quite sure. I mean, it's weird that she kind of brought me because it's her hometown. She's, she's been brought in as a baby face as well, which is weird after seeing her. It's such an effective heel and impact for so long. Uh, I can see why she wanted to leave impact. She kind of did everything she could do. If I had my, it was up to me, I would like to see her more WB than in AEW because of what's happening to people like Taya Valkyrie and so many others who have debuted. And I think if she's just going to lose, I don't like the idea of her coming in and going straight to the title because very rarely when someone comes in and goes straight after a main champion, they don't always win it. I think a better spot of her would have been coming in and going more after the TBS title. Because I think even if she didn't win, she could do a lot to help build uh, to help build Julia Hart up as a more experienced wrestler. I think she could, in defeat, make Julia Hart look more like a star than she already looks with that title. I think it would benefit her more because I don't know because I don't think she's going to beat Tony. I think Tony's going to hold the belt for quite a while. I mean, if Tony end up winning the belt, I would be happy to see it. But I, like I said, I have that fear. Like, she comes in and has that loss to Tony. And the aftermath is what I'm worried about. I'm talking about her possibly being relegated to Ring of Honor. I, I say that. I wouldn't mind. They have got to the point in Ring of Honor where um, Athena is really the only strong woman in that division. Um, they could have a good match together. I just think, you know, if you're going to go after the Ring of Honor title, I'm sorry, but you'd have been well just staying in Impact Wrestling. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> the other week, uh, Eric Bischoff described uh, Ring of Honor as a dead horse that needs to be put out of its misery. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, not entirely wrong. I mean, they've announced that new women's TV belt, which seems to be a case of nobody nobody can beat Athena, kind of like how they announced the world title. Roman's not around. Ronnie's a champion. Like, other women need something to fight for because Athena won't drop the belt. So, here's the TV belt. And the belly starts after Athena's respect in that Ring of Honor title match. is basically, they've been saying, like, oh, by the way, this is pretty much Billy's title to win now. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, It'll be interesting to see. Let's hope Diana Perazzo is booked in the manner that she should be. Let's not... Uh, and listen, um, we talk about the fact that she's went to AEW, I would have preferred. She went to WWE. But let's not forget, WWE had her and did drop the ball. Um, so, you know, maybe that's the, the advantage that AEW has. It's the... By the way, we can offer the money and we can give you a different experience to WWE. Whereas, and I think at the minute, because it's just um, Tony Khan, he is throwing money at people. Whereas WWE do have very much a set budget and they are not going to over, overpay for people they don't think they won't get the money back for. That's mm-hmm. that's my thoughts there. So, yeah, Diana Perazzo, congrats. She's signed with AEW. 
Let's talk about Hard to Kill, TNA Hard to Kill, coming to you next week, Saturday the 13th of January from Paradise, Nevada's Pam's Casino Resort. The return of TNA Wrestling. There is 10 matches on the card. There is Rich Swan versus Steve Macklin. There's Eddie Edwards and Brian Myers going up against Eric Young and Frankie Kazarian. Tommy Dreamer defends the TNA Digital Media Championship against Crazy Steve in a no-disqualification match, because why should all the matches be fun? Um, there's a fatal four-way match for the TNA World Tag Team Championship. Uh, the current champions, ABC, Chris Bay and Ace Austin, going up against the rascals of Zachary Wentz and Trey Miguel, Speedball Mountain, the team of Mike Bailey and Trent Seven, <laughs> and the newest signings to TNA, the grizzled young veterans of Zach Gibson and James Drake uh, <laughs> making their debut for TNA Wrestling. Uh, Josh Alexander going up against MLW standout Alex Hammerstone. Uh, a Knockouts Ultimate X match to determine the new number one contender for the TNA Knockouts World Championship. Uh, Zaya Brookside, Giselle Shaw, Jody Threat, Tasha Steeles, Alicia Edwards and Danny Luna who's recently signed with TNA. Dirty Dangle going up against PCO because again, why should why should you enjoy yourself? Uh, <laughs> and three main event worthy matches, a triple threat match for the TNA X Division Championship where Kushida, Vikingo and Chris Sabin are going to go 100 miles an hour. Trinity is going to defend the TNA Knockout World Championship against Collier Shot winner Jordan Grace and Moose cashes in his Feast or Fired World Championship briefcase to take on Alex Shelley for the TNA World Championship. Um, so we know over the next week or so, TNA is going to be releasing the New Look Championships. Uh, the Knockouts Championship, Tag Championship not on the line here. Who are the Knockouts Tag Champions again? Uh, I think it's Masha and Killer Kelly. Uh, it's Masha and Killer Kelly. They are not on the card. I don't know if there's injuries. I was going to say, yeah, why can't, why can't you even put them in the fucking... I'd mean, rather see either of them rather than Jody Bloody Threat and that, or Lish Edwards in that knockouts bloody ultimate scene. Have you seen how thin Lish Edwards' arms are? I don't think she can hold herself up on those ropes. Well, so TNA have announced that... Uh, just looking for the picture just now. So TNA announced that uh, the X Division title would re- be released on January 7th, which is the time of recording. We've seen it. It's lovely. Um, the TNA World Tag Team Champions uh, will be revealed on the 8th, Monday the 8th. Uh, Tuesday the 9th, the Digital Media Championship will be revealed. Uh, Wednesday the 10th, the TNA World new TNA World Title match uh, World Title will be revealed. The TNA Knockouts World title will be um, will be unveiled on January the 11th. That's a Thursday. Now, the interesting thing is here, they've all been announced to be revealed on social media every day at 1pm Eastern time, so 6 o'clock uh, UK time. The Knockouts World Tag Team titles, it just says on January 13th. So could there be a surprise last minute last minute match, you know, it said the whole thing here is a, so TNA you'll never believe who's going to be here, could this be part of the the hook 
that the Knockouts World Tag Titles are going to be on the line and you're never going to believe who's coming to challenge for them. That could be something um, interesting to see there. But yeah, that's the dates for all the new titles. Um, what match would you like to discuss uh, first? Can I just say also, uh, look at this card. I mean, the one thing I'd change about this is I'd swap the position from pre-show to main show between the digital media title and the bloody PCO match because as much as I've ragged on Tommy Dreamer, I definitely could get more entertainment out of that match because you see than I could watch him bloody PCO thing because when you watch the graphic which shows all the matches and you look at the ones on the main card, looking at how stacked the rest of it is, it just makes bloody the PCO match stand out even more like a bloody sore thumb. <laughs> but... Uh, I think I think we'll maybe talk about the tag team title match because one, well, I'm happy to see the Grizzled Young Vets. I just I love the name Speedball Mountain, and it's generally one of those ones I cannot tell what's going to happen in that one. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I would love the Grizzled Young Veterans to come in and win it. We saw before uh, the likes of the uh, the Briscoes, the likes of. Mm-hmm. Subculture, the likes of um, in between going from Japan to WWE, um, Gallows and Anderson stopped off. We've saw this where people have came in for a little bit, won a title, got a bit of shine on the title, and then you know they've just kind of moved away and put over someone on the way out. I'd love to see the Grizzled Young Veterans win if they're not going to stick around for long. Fair enough, but they look like they are going to be there for a while. And I would love to see Grizzled Young Vets going up against Trent Seven and Mike Bailey. You know, a callback to when the Grizzled Young Vets won the titles against Trent and uh, Tyler Bate. Tyler Bate, by the way, recently promoted to SmackDown. Well done to him. It's about damn time. Um, I mean, you see those photos of him when he had that little moustache during the first UK tournament, like, it was the pull of Owen Smith in that photo on the UK tournament. Like, this is how long he's been on this company. <laughs> look what this, look what his time in NXT has done to this boy. And when you look at, I mean, you look at the bloody card here. It looks like and bad. Like, what do we do if we want to have fresh new talent? Look, let's look at that list of people who are all released from NXT UK. Because you know you've got <laughs> subculture. You know you got Grizzled Young Vets. You got Zaya Brookside, Danny Lynn, and people like that. Like, yeah, fair enough if they're there. And I've always said. Impact needs to take advantage of the vast number of talent from the UK, and they seem to be doing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'd love to see Grizzly Young Veterans go up against Speedball Mountain. I'd love to see them go up against the Rascals. I'd love to see them go up against ABC in a singles match. I would love it if you know Grizzly Young Veterans go away for a bit because I can't see. I can see Eric Young and Kazarian winning on the pre-show against Miles and Edwards. Just because they are TNA originals. Um, I think that's why that match is on the show. I would love Grizzly Young Veterans to have a, a match against Speedball Mountain on the twi- uh, 23rd of February at uh, No Surrender, then go up against uh, Young and Kazarian uh, on the March... Uh, excuse me. On the March uh, Impact Plus Special, or TNA Plus Special, as it's now known as, and going up against... Um, possibly ABC in a singles match at Rebellion, the pay-per-view in April, because you could do some fun stuff with the Rascals and ABC in the meantime and give Grizzled Young Veterans a nice, memorable title reign. I would love to see that. But um, let's move on to to the triple threat match for the X Division title. Let's talk about 
Chris Sabin, Vikingo and Kushida. Um, I've got a feeling this is going to be one of those sensational matches that we just absolutely love. The first ever five-star TNA match was between... Um, was between three men in the cruiserweight division. It was Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, and Samoa Joe. I've got a feeling this will be a match like that. It'll be a hundred mile an hour. It'll be hard hitting, and I'd love to see Kushida come away with the, uh, the victory. He said, "I think he had a brief X division title run, didn't he?" No, no. He had so a title shot. He had a shot at the title, but he didn't win it. He won the Ultimate X. That's what it was. So he's been so close and so near and so far. I'd love to see Kushida come out with a win here. Uh, but Vikingo, um, we, we saw him against Taurus. Some of it doesn't come off, but when it comes off, it is absolutely sensational. Oh, yeah, I think against a group, against these two, some similar size guys to him, I think it'll, you'll see a lot more of him, especially with the triple threat style of it, where they can kind of pinpoint moments where he can come in and better showcase himself. And I think they've announced him for the tapings the following night, so... We're going to see what he does in the X Division. Uh, I like the belt as well. I think the main plate looks a bit busy, where it's got all the stuff. Like it's got the TNA logo, it's got the X, it's got all the stuff in the main plate. Like, like they took some of the old TNA X Division title designs and the current one, they kind of mashed it together into this big fucking plate. It's got all the stuff to look at. But I do like the look of it. It will be interesting when you think about going into the show, all the current champions becoming the last impact versions of those champions and then be going as the first TNA version and it's interesting to see because I think they want this as kind of a fresh start for the company just how many of them who come in with the new belts actually walk out with them because I think I could see Sabin walking out with the title and then later dropping it to Kushida but some of the other champions like, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of those previews where you see a lot of titles change hands Yeah don't worry we'll talk about your Wrestle Kingdom in a minute that was one of those ones where oh, was a yeah. champion Japan, I wouldn't show up for work on January 4th. Um, yeah, Trinity Jordan Grace, we touched on that it might be Trinity's last show. Alex Shelley versus Moose. Um, it's interesting that they've moved away from Josh Alexander in the sort of title uh, picture because he was just kind of getting in the way. He lost to Alex Shelley at uh, Bound for Glory. He lost cleanly. It wasn't doing him any favours hanging about the hanging about the main event, losing to the motorcycle machine gun regularly. It was just a case of moving away. So he's going to have a great match against Alexander Hammerstone. He had that run in between his first and second World Championship wins where he started fighting all these big men and it was just absolutely sensational. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but Moose, Moose is someone... There's only so long he can be on the precipice before you're like, he has to be a world champion again. He mm. was great the first time. I've liked Alex Shelley's run. I wish there was a little less motorcycle machine guns in there. But I've enjoyed it for what it was. Good matches against Nick Aldis and um, Josh Alexander. Good match when he won the title against Steve Macklin. But I think it's Moose's time again. Uh, I actually see a morsel being... Alex Shelley walking out with the belt. I think him and Sabin are two of the more surefire people to win again, being TNA originals. And like you had that moment in the video where they reveal the belt, where Scott DeMore says it feels fitting that you're the one to get the new TNA, you know, X Division Championship, being you've been such a key part of that. And Alex Shelley walking out with the belt. I think this Moose losing might come 
begin the dissolution of his partnership with Eddie Edwards and Brian Myers because there was that moment where he got the world title shot in the briefcase or Myers was annoyed because he wanted it to be a tag title shot for the two of them and Moose failed to hide how happy he was that it was a thing just for him. Like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, definitely I would have liked it to be a tag title shot. Immediately turns to it with a big fucking Cheshire cat <laughs> grin on his face. Um, but yeah, it looks a great card. It'll be interesting to see. We'll talk about it uh, next week on. We'll review it. Sorry, next week on ESSR Central. But it looks like a new era for TNA, and I'm just wondering who's going to walk through that quote-unquote forbidden door. But we move on to Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom 18. Um, we told you this was a big show. Um, just make sure you're still there, Scott. We're still going strong. Um, Wrestle Kingdom, 11 matches on the card, seven new champions. Jesus Christ. Let's just run through this card quickly. The Great Okan, Ishimori, Toru Yano and Yo eh, all won the New Japan Rumble to determine who would challenge for the provisional KOPW 2024 Championship at New Year Dash. Catch to... Uh, eh, sorry, you go. Yeah, just say they all went through the four-way the next day and Ishimori won. Ishimori is the first provisional champion of the New Year. Well, well done, Ishimori. Um... Catch-22 defeated the Bullet Club War Dogs to win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championships. Uh, Tanahashi defeated Zack Sabre Jr. to win the New Japan World Television Championship. Yota, you pronounce Suchi. that, Scott? Yes. And I think... <laughs> In a singles match, uh, the House of Torture, Evil and Ren Natira defeated Shota, Yumino and... Kaito Kiyomiya. Thank you. In a tag team match, Tamatonga defeated uh, Shingo Takaji to win the Never Openweight Championship. The Gorillas of Destiny, who are the strong Openweight Tag Team Champions, defeated Goto and Yoshihashi, who are the current IWGP champions, in a winner-take-all match for both tag titles. Winner-winner-take-all. El Desperado defeated Takahashi for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Dave Finlay defeated Will Ospreay and John Moxley in a match for the inaugural IWGP Global Heavyweight Championship. Okada defeats Danielson in their second match, and Naito defeats Sanada for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Like I said, if I was a champion in New Japan, I'd flown in sick to work on January 4th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a hell of a car. Also, me and Grant later next week will be uh, recording our review. We'll give you our full thoughts on it. I was shocked about the amount of title changes on the show. I didn't agree with all of them. But I enjoyed the show for the most part. Bloody Tamatonga didn't didn't tell me why he decided this, but he wins the belt for for a fourth time. Does his post match concert? Said, this January will be my last month with New Japan because I want to be closer to my family, which led all people thinking like, wait, what? Because uh, I'd heard people saying that he was leaving before I watched the match. Went, oh well, Shingo must be winning. That's fine. I like Shingo. And then Tama won. I'm like, wait, fucking what? Uh, <laughs> The best, one of the best spots of that match is, you know, Jordan Grace's Grace Driver? Yes. Jingo uh, Takagi does a version of that called Made in Japan, and he lifted Tam up for it, who flipped out of it into a car, which <laughs> is hard to describe. 
uh, obviously, the big story for you, Ross, is the fact that Nick Nemeth, alongside his brother Ryan, showed up. At- Dolph Ziggler moving fast, nothing that's ready to fight. Oh yeah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so he shows up with his brother, and it was right before the tag team title match. So a lot of people thought, "Oh, are they trying to make a play for the tag division?" Then a couple more matches have been. You'd be forgiven for forgetting the two were there. And then they had the triple threat match for the global title where there was a funny thing at the press conference the day before where Will Ospreay said, like, come on, we both know David Finley doesn't belong in this match. It should be you and me. So it gives that a bag. goes, I will offer you a five-minute truce. To, and to sweeten the deal, here's two non-alcoholic beers. Uh, we'll have a five-minute amnesty at the start of the match. We'll get, we'll get him fucked off. And it'll be you and me who can decide it. And the first five minutes was those two beating the shit out of Finley and putting him <laughs> through a table. But Finley managed to steal the win in the end anyway. And then he and Nick Nemeth get into a fight at ringside uh, before Finley goes for his back to his comments. Nemeth follows him and dives over the table to attack him. <laughs> uh, I've seen, seen the table spot. I thought that was amazing. Dave Finley looks like someone tried to draw Jay White from memory. Um, that's, that's all I can take from that. Delighted to see Nick Nemeth in New Japan. And I, I said... I said he should go to TNA, New Japan and TNA have a great working relationship. Hopefully well, we can see. There you go. Well, well, it's funny you say that, Russ, because obviously the next big show for New Japan, at least in the US, is Battle in the Valley, which is the same day as as a TNA Hardcore, which is why Okada and Osprey aren't on the pay-per-view, but are on the post-pay-per-view tapings, because they're, both, they're having a match in the main event mm-hmm. of that show, Battle in the Valley. But we all thought, me and Grant both speculated after this, like, oh, maybe Finlay and Ziggler, Nemeth will happen at Battle in the Valley, but Nemeth isn't booked for the show, so it does mean he could be the big surprise that TNA's tease and he could show up at Hard to Kill. But uh, they announced New Japan that in April they're doing a big show in Chicago at the Wind Trust Arena, so I imagine they might book that, because maybe they'll think, oh, we'll have a former WWE name and it'll help shift some tickets. So, Nemeth could be in for big things, mostly on the domestic side, uh, especially for challenging for that global title. And uh, I should mention about Will Ospreay, He's got two big dates on his New Japan contract before he goes over to All Elite Wrestling, which is the 13th of January against Okada. And they announced that on the 11th of February at New Beginning in Osaka, there will be a five-on-five steel cage, no DQ match. It will be Osprey and his United Empire team against uh, David Finlay and his Bullet Club War Dogs. It's New Japan's first cage match in something like 20 years, I remember them saying as well. So that will certainly be a sight. Um, and apparently they did the matches with the steel cage. They said, oh, it's so vile, we can't allow fans in. So they did a steel cage, like empty arena style match. So this will be the first time they've allowed, New Japan's allowed fans in their arena for a steel cage match. That's quite cool. Um, that big shot Tanahashi, the new president of New Japan, just throwing his weight around. First show <laughs> under his rule, Zack Sabre Jr. loses a title. Um, outrageous, outrageous. I'm sure you and Grant into that on uh, East Meets West. When are you planning on doing that? Uh, we're going to record early next week, so it'll be out by, if you're hearing us on Monday where it goes out, by the weekend you'll have a new episode of East Meets where we'll talk about the appointment of uh, Tanahashi. We're also going to not just talk about uh, New Japan, we're also going to talk about what happened with All Japan working with, with the appearance of uh, Charlie Dempsey over there and the recent Noah New Year show and uh, the sad state of affairs surrounding Kota Bushi. Yeah, that is a awkward one, that one. Um, 
we'll move on to our last story, possibly our biggest story. Um, January the 1st, Raw Day 1, we had a, a massive show planned. Uh, Seth Rollins defeats uh, Drew McIntyre to retain. Uh, Ivan, uh, sorry, Rhea Ripley defends the title against Ivy Nile. Um, we have new tag team champions uh, in the women's division. And, of course, the return of a former WWE champion was advertised. People thought, who could it be? Was it Big E? Was it The Rock? It was Jinder Mahal. Jinder <laughs> Mahal comes out. I loved how they focused on the crowd. Everyone has their phone out. They're waiting for it. They made them wait that extra five seconds and then hit Jinder Mahal's music. <laughs> Wade Barrett and Michael Cole, brilliant on commentary. Michael Cole, this wasn't who I was expecting. Um, it's even better, isn't it, Cole? Cole just goes, no, no, it's not. <laughs> But have no fear, the great one was near, the music hits, Michael Cole screams as loudly as I did, yes, The Rock was back. It looked like just a a cookie cutter, Rock return promo, he runs down the heel, he throws a few punches, people's elbow, and that's the end of the segment. And it got a bit weird for a minute, because The Rock comes on the mic and says, guys, I'm quite hungry. I'm going to head out to eat. When I head out to eat tonight, should I go to a booth? Should I go to a bar? And I thought we were going to get like WrestleMania 27 bad. Uh, this is the people's water. And he, he eventually stops. He just goes, or should I sit at the head of the table and the crowd ate it up? They were already eating out the palm of their hands. Of course they're eating out the palm of his hands. It's the rock. Um, Rumours swirling, when does The Rock take on Roman Reigns? I loved Roman Reigns' response. Uh, Charlie Caruso, try, uh, try to stop him. Uh, no, Charlie Caruso, the other one. Kathy uh, Kayla. Kayla Braxton tried to stop him um, before he uh, came into the arena, before SmackDown went, Roman, any comment on your cousin The Rock's comments? And he laughed in her face and walked away. And Paul Heyman just smiled at her. <laughs> and um, So it'll be interesting to see where that happens. Rumours are that The Rock was part of the deal to get WWE to Australia for the Elimination Chamber. Rumours are The Rock in the main event against Roman Reigns. When, when does this happen, Scott? Because we have to finish the story, as Cody says. Punk's back, but now The Rock's back, and this was a match we all wanted to see. Where does it go? Uh, first off, I love what you said, the way they did the general thing, because you can see people actively, before they cut to the Titan draw, people putting their phones back down when they realise <laughs> it's not who they thought it was. And I don't want to sound like Dave taught me when he didn't want to see uh, Austin at Mania last year, because this is not the same thing. Obviously, Austin was a whole other thing. You know, we've seen The Rock come back. We hadn't seen Austin in, since 2003 in an actual match. But I, if, it, if the option is WrestleMania or The Chamber, I would rather see this at The Chamber because there was a time to do Rock and Roman for the Universal title at WrestleMania, and that time was two years ago. Hell, the time was possibly last year because Cody coming back and not immediately winning the Rumble wouldn't have hurt him. Uh, but the fact you you had him win the Rumble and then that made people think, oh, he's he's doing this whole thing with the title this year, and then he didn't say no, he's doing it next year. 
Whereas Rio, actually, if he didn't have him win the Rumble and he won it this year, then people would have thought differently. But the time to look for the title at Mania, I think, is passed. If you want to do it at the Chamber and then te- have the Rock tease about getting involved at Mania, that's another thing. But I think it could be a good thing. Like you said, what a hell, hell of a thing if you're an Australian thinking they're probably the big team. So, I mean, yeah, you haven't seen WWE in a while, but you maybe, if you're still heads, you're like, you're going to get the Rock versus fucking Roman Reigns uh, at this show. You get to see Rhea Ripley probably in a prominent match. I'd like to see her maybe in a chamber defending her belt. Like, the chamber match show sound like it's going to be a stack show and I think this could be a great cherry on top of the cake so one suggestion saying that maybe the Rock should be in a force like Mike Tyson for the Cody match and kind of almost maybe screw over Roman the way he did to Cena to set up him and Roman later on which I think I don't know if he should do that because that would overshadow Cody's story but my option is Rock well fatal for that he's got the Rumble Chamber with the Rock finish it with Cody because people have been getting quite negative about the sameness of uh, Roman's matches and like a fresh take with a multi-match at the Rumble and that thing was a personal family story at the Chamber and then finishing it off, capping it off by giving the big babies the one that everyone's wanted for the year uh, at Mania is a perfect ending to Roman's time as a champion and we'll make it as a way to end the title reign on a high because you know, Roman's not adverse to having big matches that maybe should be at WrestleMania at uh, the, the, the February period. Remember, 2021, he fights Goldberg. 2021, he fights Sami Zayn in a match that had that WrestleMania field, given how much Montreal is behind him. So I don't think him be Rock at Australia is, you know, the worst thing, especially it's going to encourage other countries maybe because they can, they can say, like, listen, we give Australia the Rock. Imagine who we'll bring to your country. <laughs> Um, I seen someone earlier. WrestleMania twenty was a triple threat. WrestleMania thirty was a triple threat. Should WrestleMania forty be a triple threat to continue the tradition? I mean, hey, WrestleMania ten just stopped shy of being a triple threat. There was two Royal Rumble winners. Um, yeah. One of the so years it was. I, oh, I say maybe the year of those three WrestleManias where it made more sense to be a triple threat, but it just wasn't a thing they did back then. Yeah, um, so hey, maybe they'll go with that. Um, I would like the idea of Cody pinning Rock, Roman taking time off, Rock shaking Cody's hand and raising the hand and saying, look, this is the guy. And then Roman-Cody singles match at SummerSlam with the story that, yeah, you're the champion, but you've never beat me. You've never pinned me. I th- And Roman saved some of his best matches for SummerSlam. You know, so hey, I, I'd be interested in that. That would be a hell of a, a story. That um, uh, I think, I think I like the idea of the triple threat, like you said. And again, the idea of like I me mean, ending with Rock raising Cody's hand and all the pyro, you know, again, that proper endorsement from the Rock on Cody. I mean, a lot of fans are already behind Cody as a guy, as one of the top guys, but I think that'll add you know, on to it. And another reason I wanted, like, uh, quote unquote, BB review the match with him and Rock. You know, that you should be calling these be previews anymore. And no, I mean, it's because, you know, it was a, like a spine buster than a people's elbow. And you said the Rocks promo more, more coherently than he did because it was more like a, the Rocks, going to go out to eat. Sound like buddy, <laughs> Malcolm's, it sounds like, sound like Malcolm's pal who can't eat talk. And from Malcolm in the middle, I can't remember his name. Yeah, Stevie. Sounds like Stevie from Malcolm in the middle. Because, like, 
you want because like the thing is if these two have a match like it or not they're going to have a long match because Roman likes long matches but the guy in charge of creative likes long matches <laughs> uh, you really you really hope the rock they stretch it so the rock doesn't you know suffer another major injury like uh, the Cena match which is I think him getting hurt in that May of 2019 is the reason we haven't seen Rock in a match of this scale since 2013. Like, studios and insurance companies are like, we're not fucking taking that risk. You're, you're in too many movies. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a now or never mm-hmm. thing for The Rock. He's 52 this year. 50, 53, I think, this year. 53... There's only so much longer we can put this off before it becomes Undertaker levels of bad. Um, but that's going to wrap us up for this week. Uh, there's still lots to talk about, but we've rambled on about so many things. Um, join us next week where we be where we be. <laughs> where we'll be recording on the 15th and releasing on the 16th. We'll be reviewing TNA's Hard to Kill. We'll be looking forward to the Royal Rumble. So many names already announced. Cody Rhodes, CM Punk, Nakamura, Bobby Lashley announced for the men's. Bailey, Nia Jax, Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair announced for the women's. Um, so many returns. We'll talk more about the return when we see more of it of AOP and Paul Ellering joining mm-hmm. uh, joining Scarlett and Karrion Cross. We'll be talking so much more with uh, AEW what's going on there as we head towards Revolution and Sting's final match a lot of big things to come up in 2024 and we look forward to covering them with you, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube you name it, we're on it it's at Suplex Retweet and of course if you want to follow our massive back catalogue of previews, reviews, interviews and all the news Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet is available on iTunes, Spotify and all good Android podcasting sites. Thank you very much Scott for joining me to talk about everything it seems. Well, I'm the only one of the only other people who watches New Japan and TNA so, you know, those sections would be a lot shorter if I wasn't here. (laughs) So yes, you can blame him for it. uh, We'll be back next week. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Coming out this Friday, the 12th of January, on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Network is our feature show on Rey Mysterio. Yes, this show is hosted by myself, Quackaraji. Joining me on the panel is Andy Mitchell, David Olney, and Daniel Campbell. Make sure you're subscribed, whether that be on Spotify, Apple, or Android Podcasting Networks, for your Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet feature show on Rey Mysterio. Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.